0: You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek on sqpn.com.
1: Computer, status report.
2: Program complete. Enter when ready.
0: Captain, I uh, check the engines. The warp drive, that's a hopeless pile of junk. Fascinating. Leave me aboard. Energize. Energize. This episode is brought to you by the SQPN Store at store.sqpn.com. Go to Amazon via the link on our website and your purchase will help support our network. This show is also made possible by donations from listeners like you. Help us to continue producing quality programs and giving them away for free by supporting us with a monthly donation or a one-time gift. Go to sqpn.com slash donate to read how you can help. Thank you for your support. We couldn't do this show without you. Captain... Incoming message. Hello and welcome to the bridge of another episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. I am Father Roderick, and joining us today are three other members of the crew. First of all, Steve, how are you today?
3: I'm doing I'm doing pretty well. I had a good week. I've been suffering a lot with allergies, though, so uh, I'm a little fuzzy-headed sometimes, but I'm getting through it.
0: Time to see Dr. Flocks, I think.
3: <laughs> yeah, a hypo-spray of something would be very uh, welcome, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're best ba- so you're back from your away mission. Yes. Because last time we spoke yes. you were in uh, in Georgia, right?
3: Uh yeah, I was there on SQPN business and uh, now I'm back home and enjoying the spring
0: as much as I can. Also joining us today is the incomparable Maria Johnson.
2: Hey guys, always happy to be here.
0: It's good to have you on board as well. And finally joining us is Mike Kuipers. Hi Father. Mike, you are all the way up north in uh, the United States of America, right?
1: Yes, I'm in Michigan.
0: How is the weather? Is it still resembling a winter planet or is it turning spring oh, no, over there?
1: <laughs> yesterday we had, uh, it was in the 80s yesterday, and Ooh. Uh, that's Fahrenheit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we today I'll be in the 60s. We're we're cooling down though. Tomorrow it's got to be kind of chilly. But uh, we had some summer temperatures.
0: Excellent. Well, here here in the Netherlands, the weather is 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 still chilly, but at least we've got lots of sunshine. It's uh, spring is is definitely here, here to stay. We've got our tulips, we've got our daffodils. So uh, all the exotic plants and and flowers of this planet are in full bloom over here. So uh, definitely enjoying my away missions from uh, well away from my. From my recording studio, that is. Let's go ahead and uh, and, t- and do our first round of information about what Star Trek we've been watching or enjoying uh, this week. Maria, did you see any Star Trek?
2: Well, actually, I, I saw another episode. I was watching, I've been watching a lot of Voyager lately because it looks like I'm going to be your Voyager representative here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I was actually watching a, a very fangirl episode with Captain Janeway, getting excited about her. Um, her hero, Amelia Earhart in uh, in an episode called The 37s.
1: A crew lost in the galaxy. Oh my God. A lost American legend. Amelia Earhart. Now two generations of explorers. We think you were abducted from Earth. If you were me, would you believe your story must choose a new destiny people here have built a new earth we could stay or face an uncertain future take cover on the next star trek voyager
2: Yeah, it's one of those great episodes that kind of plays into all our conspiracy theories here and and our love of, like, the Bermuda Triangle and and all of that goofiness and and the Roswell, New Mexico crash landing. Um, It turns out that aliens abducted all these people who disappeared. Of course. Of (laughs) course. (laughs) And the Voyager crew finds them on some random planet.
0: I think the writers of Star Trek are so... Thankful, so grateful to all these alien visitors over the past uh, forty <laughs> years, providing ample material for plots, <laughs> for for storylines. And and so, what happens to Amelia later on? Does she join the the crew of Voyager? I, I can't remember exactly. Or does she die? No, or? no,
2: no, she doesn't. They're they're kind of left to have their own adventure. Because of course they wouldn't want to. I mean, can you imagine if they brought back Amelia Earhart to the 24th century? What a what an interesting thing that would be. But I, what I really found kind of engaging about that particular episode, and it's I think it's the first one of the second season, um, is that the characters are finally getting some kind of personalities. And uh, sometimes it's still a little pushy, and and the dialogue is still a little weak. You know, there's always some kind of insert random. Technobabble, but uh, <laughs> but in this, I mean, you can really see Captain Janeway connecting with Amelia Earhart, and uh, the fact that she was the first female pilot and all of that stuff. So, there was it was neat. And then uh, Paris gets to play uh, with his hobby of 20th century machinery because they end up finding the planet because there was a rusting truck floating out in the middle of space.
0: <laughs> of course. all that junk left behind by all these abducting aliens it's just it's a it's a disgrace
2: (laughs) well you know watching I don't know how the rest of you guys feel about this but watching the show when I'm watching the show is one thing but then later on talking about it it just sounds so ridiculous but, but during the episode it's, it's pretty cool it makes perfect sense you know I guess I get wrapped up into the whole suspension of disbelief thing
0: absolutely so that's that's definitely a girl power episode where uh, Amelia Earhart you know is like the first um, female captain you know it's kind of the model for all the f- future female flying female you know people in charge I suppose.
2: Oh, sure. And, and Jerry, <laughs> Jerry Taylor, I think, was the writer. And, of course, it makes sense.
0: C-
3: can I get on my soapbox for a minute? <laughs>
0: oh, okay. Go ahead. I don't know if we have any soapboxes here on uh, the bridge of uh, the USS uh, Starquest, but uh, <laughs> we, perhaps we can generate one in the holodeck.
3: <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted to bring up.
0: You okay, know, I go ahead. I,
3: I don't mind these episodes where they go back in history and that kind of stuff, but I've never... I never could wrap my mind around those episodes of Next Generation where they spend most of it in the holodeck in a 1920s speakeasy or detective (laughs) novel. I just never really – I never really got that. What was the point of that?
0: Well, it's just uh, it's it's probably those are the cheaper episodes because all that stuff is is probably available for almost nothing on the on the the backlot of the studios, and so you know plenty of costumes from whatever movie or TV series. so It's just uh, exactly it's it's very it's a very cheap way. You just uh, spend you don't have to spend much budget, and so you can you can put that into the series finale or something like that, or the uh, the seasons finale. <laughs> That's just you know, how it a, works. In
2: a more insidious way of, of public indoctrination, if you will, <laughs> going back into the 20th century in a lot of these shows is a way to contrast, okay, this is the way life is now in the present. Look at how much more evolved we are two or three centuries from now. True. So it's, it's, it's a good way to, to compare and contrast how enlightened the uh, these Federation people uh, explorers have become i also
0: i also think that that there there might be uh, this this might just be something that the the actors enjoy doing i remember in the first uh, original series there was some shakespeare in in the first season and you can just tell that the actors just love doing something totally different. And in, in the next generation, I felt that they even overdid it. Like like every other episode is taking place in the in the in the thirties, uh, in in uh, somewhere on you know in the United States. And and Data always wears hats and plays a detective, and it gets really annoying. It's like yeah, okay, get it over with. Can you please switch to another time? <laughs>
3: uh. Yeah, I almost wanted to walk out of that Star Trek movie where it opens up and they're on the deck of a sailing ship, you Ooh, know, and they're all dressed up painful.
0: in and even even <laughs> even a uh, wharf is dressed in a pirate suit or something like that with his head in a po- uh, his hair in a ponytail. It's just so painful. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anyway, uh,
3: sorry, I'm off my soapbox now, but I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs>
0: I think that's one of the redeeming aspects of uh, of the the last series, you know, Enterprise. They didn't have a holodeck, so we were spared the misery of going back to the 30s. And <laughs> or to or <laughs> another favorite location for many Star Trek series uh, was a, a western town. You know, it would be the old west. Mm-hmm. Again, it's probably very cheap <laughs> to film that in California.
1: Yeah, well, in the original <laughs> series, yeah. they had to always encounter Earthlike planets you know where with earth like history in them indeed uh,
0: and 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 which, and, and very yeah. surprisingly it was almost the same type of development <laughs> as as on earth itself
1: yeah uh, they, they, so that was you know that uh, the way they had to do that uh, i mean that w- would stretch cred- credibility you know if uh, you know, and with the holodeck, at least they have an excuse for, yes. for doing
0: it. It's well, it's either time travel, or it's a, 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 a very similar planet, or it is the holodeck. And by the way, Star Trek is not the only science fiction series that uses this, this narrative device, this kind of trick. Uh, I was watching Stargate uh, the other day, the, the original Star Trek Stargate series, and uh, exactly the same happens. <laughs> you know, they all of a sudden find themselves in a some kind of real transdimensional world where everybody is. is I think it was in a hotel, no, in a, in a casino, and everybody is playing, you know, cards and everything, and they get trapped in that. And it turns out to be some kind of preservation method for a, 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 a civilization on the brink of extinction. And they created that virtual world. It's, it's almost like the holodeck in the Next Generation stories. But it gets old very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mike, did you watch any Star Trek?
1: Uh, yes, I. Uh, I, w- I looked at. Uh, I. I found um, star, star Trek: The Next Generation an episode that I liked uh, uh, a lot. The first time I saw it, and I watched it again. It was called "Remember Me," and it, it was sort of a uh, star vehicle for uh, Beverly Crusher next time on star trek the next generation a helpless dr crusher watches all her friends and family vanish
0: they're all gone
1: an unexplained force leads to an invisible massacre there are now over 900 missing confusion turns to desperation i need you to tell me if i've gone completely mad is it a deadly mind game or a real life nightmare on star trek the next generation Uh, her son Wesley is working on this uh, kind of a, a warp, a static warp bubble. Mm-hmm. And by accident, uh, she ends up finding herself on another Star Trek, another uh, starship uh, enterprise, although she doesn't realize it at the time. And um, all of the people that she knows start to disappear. And. Um, and nobody seems to think this is unusual because nobody has any memory of the people that are disappearing
0: oh you i know, remember that one and yeah. she ends up she ends up with uh with picard right
1: yeah at, at one point uh after after they've lost everybody on the ship except picard and her uh, you know, it's, and he thinks it's perfectly normal. I that remember that there episode. are only two of them aboard the ship. Yeah.
0: <laughs> it's it's one of the better uh, episodes of, of The Next Generation because it's so intriguing, and you're like, How are they going to solve this? What is going on?
1: That's right. You know, I love she that. Has, she has to work it out herself between uh, it comes down to her, the only last person, she's the last person on the ship, and she has the only thing she has to her. Uh, as the uh, to her, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, thing to turn to is the computer, and uh, and she starts asking the computer questions about what's the universe, wh- what is my universe, and, and then she finds out it's it's a finite universe, universe, and it's a bubble uh, surrounding the ship, and it's getting smaller and smaller, mm. and and it's going kind to of pretty soon everything's going to disappear completely. and Including her, unless she finds a way back to uh, to the Enterprise.
0: Interesting. So again, it's a yeah. bubble. That's another thing that they uh, that they <laughs> used in the in the Stargate episode that I was talking about. I think it's a similar kind of alternate reality bubble or something like that.
1: Right. Yeah. So I I, I kind of like the the problem solving type. Uh, episodes uh, of uh, the Star Trek series.
0: Yeah, me too. Especially uh, the, you're like, yeah, what is going like, on? Like the one where they
1: what like the one where they kept they were stuck in a time loop and they kept playing poker and they Yeah. Yeah. And uh, you know, everything w- they would get close to to figuring out how to solve the problem and then everything would start over again.
0: Oh my gosh, is that I remember now. I was again, I was watching another Star Stargate series. It's in the same season. And uh, the, the, the two of the main characters uh, relive their day over and over again, and they try to solve it, and they can't because every time they're close to a solution. I had, I, and I thought it was just, oh, they're stealing Groundhog Day. But actually, this, this <laughs> is also a, a reference to, actually, they even mentioned Groundhog Day at one point. They're making a reference to it right. uh, because a lot of the, the humor in Stargate is, uh, is kind of tongue in the cheek, and, and there are lots of cultural references. Takes itself a little less seriously than uh, than Star Trek, but now I, I realize that they actually also took this from uh, the Next Generation. Wow, <laughs> no wonder that I like Star Stargate a lot. <laughs> it's just basically uh, reheated um, uh, microwave Star Trek with different characters. <laughs> <laughs> reheated, <laughs> Mr. Soapbox. Did you watch any Star Trek? <laughs>
3: Uh, I suppose you're referring to me. I well,
0: <laughs> <laughs>
4: duh. Uh,
3: I did. I, I uh, started watching some episodes in season two of the original series, and I watched Amok Time, which I think is the first time that we actually see the planet Vulcan if I'm not mistaken Mm -hmm. and we we learn a little bit about Vulcan marriage uh rights and things like that so it was pretty interesting it's a ritual shrouded in mystery
2: Spock I await you
1: when a Vulcan must find a mate we are driven to return home and take a wife or die gotta get Spock to Vulcan but a shocking turn
0: You will have to fight for her
1: pitch Spock I make my choice this one against Turk. Spock! No!
3: Star Trek. And I also watched uh, Mirror Mirror, which is that one where uh, they have the alternate universe and we get to see the evil crew versus the good crew. Captain's
0: log, star date unknown. I command an enterprise where
1: assassination of superiors
0: is a common means of advancing in rank. <laughs> You must know what
3: you're doing. Well, let me go! Spock! Get these men off me!
1: Spock! You you (laughs)
0: traitorous! All right, Spock. Whatever your game is, I'll play it.
1: emerging, Doctor. I am ordered to kill you and to proceed against the Halkins as the new captain of the Enterprise.
0: (laughs) That's like every other episode in Star Trek The Original Series features some evil (laughs) version of either a person or the reality. (laughs) Uh, Well, if I
2: could get on my (laughs) soapbox, I think that that's the one where all the uh, all the character the bad characters had beards, right? Goatees. Right.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Spock had yeah. a
1: beard.
3: Yeah. And Sulu had a big scar on his face, so that's how you could oh. tell which one he was. <laughs> what I thought was interesting about that episode, though, is that Spock, besides his appearance, was pretty much the same in both universes, and so the implication is is that logic is non-polar. There's no bias. You know, no good logic and bad logic. It's It was pretty much the same. His methods were different on how he solved problems, but he basically went was the same person.
0: Fascinating. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wonderful. I just watched one, uh, part of one episode this week. I've been very busy, and, and as you as you heard, I've been watching too much Stargate. Uh, I actually shouldn't confess this on the Secrets of Star Trek podcast, but I, I went back to that episode. I was so curious to see the Klingons in the original series because you, you guys were talking about it, and oh my gosh, they look terrible. <laughs> it's just you know, people with in, in brown makeup. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> gosh, these Klingons uh, have come a long way. <laughs> <laughs>
3: really? Some terrible accident gave them those forehead ridges?
0: I guess. so. Uh, well, I think it's like a genetic... Uh, there was an explanation for that, but... Uh, w- w- yeah. well, were
2: they supposed to be Russian? I mean, some
0: so Some metaphor of the... I think yeah. originally they were, yes. Like Russian, barbaric Russians or something like that. <laughs> Cossacks. <laughs> yeah. Always thinking about war. <laughs> the contrast with the very peaceful... Uh, Starship Enterprise, which of course symbolized the peaceful intentions of the United States of America, never engaging in any war, (laughs) never (laughs) intervening. Uh, I think this leads right into our next topic or the main topic, I should say, of this show. Uh, We wanted to talk about social justice and in relation to the Prime Directive. And uh, this is a a very important theme in the entire Star Trek history it's uh, of course Star Trek was originally uh, started by Gene Roddenberry as a as a metaphor of um, and also an idealized version of society and so a lot of the things that he emphasized in, in the original series like the fact that Uh, The United Federation of Planets was peaceful, did never intervene. Uh, There was no more money, no more greed, no more war. I mean, the Starship Enterprise is an an exploration ship. It's not a warship. They do have uh, weapons, but it's only for self-defense. And, you know, the the standard setting on a phaser is is stun and not kill. And so Steve Roddenberry... Hoped that that his stories would contribute to to strengthening this ideal, which at the time, you know, we're talking about the '60s and the early '70s. Uh, the whole The whole there was this this euphoric idea that you know the times they are changing and we are now definit- de- definitively moving to a more peaceful society, a better world, and uh, you know all you need is love. and And Star Trek um, heavily reflected that. And so, of course, one of the one of the the, the interesting uh, frictions is what happens if this very peaceful society encounters, in their in their quest for exploration, encounters other worlds and societies where where the situation is less ideal, and there might be a, an internal war going on, or people might be oppressed. Do you act, or do you stand back and just watch and let things? Evolve, and I think it's a very interesting moral discussion. And of course, this all has to do with the Prime Directive, which has been um, popping up first in the, the original series and has been used in, I think, every season of, of Star Trek at least once or twice, and uh, and and has, I think, uh, brought forward a lot of interesting discussions about. You know sovereignty of planets and and uh, and moral dilemmas, and so it's an interesting story device. And so I asked the members of our crew today to uh, to come up with an episode that illustrates this theme of social justice, the Prime Directive, what to do, uh, do you act, do you do you, do you stand back. And uh, Maria already referred to her episode um, that she watched for in preparation of this show, and that was Caretaker. Uh, Would you care to elaborate?
2: Uh, Yeah, uh, to to just go off a little bit on, on what you were talking about... Uh, in the original series and then in the next generation and I think in a very big way, Deep Space Nine we do see this progression of having more and more episodes that are dealing with this element of social justice so by the time that Voyager came around that had already been established as as a pretty significant uh, theme in the other shows so the first episode of Voyager, Caretaker um, is actually Based exactly on that point, what happens is that, you know, you've got the war going on with the Cardassians and um, Voyager has to go and chase down the Maquis, a rogue uh, group of, of uh, rebels, if you will, and uh, they get sucked into some, you know, strange event that carries them to the other side of the universe, and there they discover this this thing that they call an array which was the machine that effectively, you know, drew them to that side of the universe. And uh, on this array is an entity uh, that they refer to as the caretaker. And the caretaker is uh, a a superior being that is taking care of uh, a race of people on this planet called the Ocampa, which is where the little pixie girl comes from, where Kes Kes is an Ocampa.
0: Are are um, those the guys with the goofy hair?
2: With no, the guys with the goofy hair are are they're they're kind of failed villains like uh, like yeah, the Ferengi. The exactly. Kazon were supposed to be the the uber villain for oh, okay. Voyager, and they ended up being just you know dumb. <laughs> okay, <laughs> dumb and weak and goofy hair. They had like I don't know what kind of hair that was, but it was it was like. Really bad Rastafarian look at stuff. Well,
0: anyway. they they hadn't invented shampoo yet, so they used starch.
2: Truly, <laughs> they were awful. But uh, Jane is is um, faced with with the dilemma of now that they've gotten to know the uh, both the Kazon and the Okampa, uh, she realizes that this caretaker is is the one that's keeping the, the Kazon at bay from overrunning. The Ocampa, mm-hmm. and uh, the problem with the caretaker, and the reason why the caretaker has been kidnapping all of these people is that he's trying to find a mate so that they so that he can or she can procreate and and be able to maintain this this position of, of caretaker for the Ocampa. Well, you know, things happen. The caretaker dies, and Janeway sees herself in the position of violating the Prime Directive because. Once the caretaker is out of the picture, it's very clear that the Kazon are going to be able to overtake the ocampa and she doesn't want to do that. So what she does is she destroys the array, which of course uh, uh, is in violation, really, if you will, of of the Prime Directive. And the argument or her justification for it is that they're already involved with the Okampa, so they've already broken the Prime Directive they've already become involved and they were involved not by their choice but by being sucked in by the caretaker so she feels that it's all justified and of course what happens is that in destroying that array they also destroy their their uh, their means of returning home
0: so it's uh, if you've already breached the prime directive and you've become involved whether by accident or, or on purpose in that situation at least the what what guides Captain Janeway is not okay. Let's let's do as much Prime Directive as possible, but no, it's let let's take sides, let's act, let's try to do the right thing anyway, even if it's it's in in further violation of the Prime Directive.
2: Exactly, and that seems to be something that they do an awful lot. So there is this Prime Directive in place, but I think that they look at it in each particular case and say, you know what, what's what's the right thing to do, as opposed to you know what's the thing that you're supposed to do, and yes. uh, and isn't really isn't that really what we face every day? Those kinds of little mini moral dilemmas. I know what's right. It's easier to do. What is what is the it saying? It's easier to do what's what's right than to do the right thing or do mm-hmm. the right thing and what's right.
0: Well, it's uh, yes, it's definitely a very important moral dilemma that uh, we face on an individual level and also on a, on the level of you know the countries and our. Our world and how do we do? We help each other. Do we intervene? Do we um, have to always uh, accept the sovereignty of countries? Or if we see something that is really wrong, do do we need to intervene? Do we need to uh, choose the side of the good guys or what we perceive as the good guys? And and I think that is exactly the the problem. Who determines who are the good guys? And and uh, can we come up with like. Objective moral standards for that that help us uh, choose, or or is everything relative? And and and, and, and if it is, you know, <laughs> can there be? Uh, is 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 it always uh, morally neutral uh, if if you don't intervene? Uh, or is the fact that you don't intervene is that already a morally a moral choice in in a certain direction? Now this this whole idea of of the the prime directive. Uh, was first introduced in the original Star Trek series um, and was one of the guiding principles of the United Federation of Planets. So that's how it was first. Is we first started to discover that there was this United Federation of Planets. Um, and and the series, uh, uh, the last series, uh, chronological, or at least in our chronology, which is the first ser- uh, chronological... I'm, I'm not explaining myself, but you know, I'm talking about Enterprise. Enterprise is, of course... Leading up to the United Federation of the Planets, there wasn't a United Federation of Planets, and so I watched an episode uh, this week that has to do with uh, uh, with Enterprise. But um, but it, the United Federation of Planets has this Prime Directive, and I I I could help but thinking that actually this Prime Directive is is almost like a scientific approach. It is, uh, and since the, the Enterprise was originally uh, uh, on a mission to explore new worlds and new civilizations, it's almost what a what a scientist tries to do during an experiment. While observing, you try to have as little influence, and if possible, no influence on what you you are observing. Because if you do, then you kind of you don't get you you get contaminated data. Uh, and so it's like you know if you want to. Do a medical experiment so you, you gotta wash your hands Or you gotta put on gloves Because otherwise you're contaminating your sample And it's as, as almost Almost as if uh, this, this prime directive Was v- very fitting for a scientific mission However Very quickly in the original series um, It's no longer just about scientific exploration It's not just about observation But they have to choose They are in a situation Where they see something that is that is just morally wrong, at least in the eyes of, of of the people on the Enterprise. And so, what do you do then? Or do you keep your scientific uh, distance, or do you get involved? And Mike, I understand that you've watched an episode from the original series that uh, that talks about this di- dilemma. Which which episode was that?
1: Well, it was called "The Cloud Minders." Stratos, Captain City
3: actually floating in the sky light, halt. Surrender our fire! there's a dangerous gas in the mines this mask will prevent any further damage
1: speak I command you I would advise you to increase your knowledge
3: you only take a mate once every seven
0: years and is there nothing that can disturb that cycle Dig as the troglites lights do. As the
3: trog lights With
0: your bare hands, Happen.
1: You still refuse to disclose the names of the other disruptors. Very well, if you prefer the rays.
0: Enterprise, help! They'll kill each other. Help us! Help us!
1: It's about two classes of society, sort of. Uh, the The uh, enterprise has to retrieve some uh, minerals to to uh, to for a, a plague. They want to pre, uh, cure a plague or prevent a plague on another planet. They mm-hmm. have to. They come to this one planet where the the element uh, is available and where it's mined. And they uh, uh, when they arrive, they uh, they're asked to. Uh, well, there are two societies. The one that, that lives in the clouds, uh, kind of a pampered, privileged society. They're living up in the clouds. And then there's, there's the other society, the miners, who are on the planet and under the planet, uh, uh, mining the xenite, the which is the element that they need. And, um, and all their labors sort of benefit the people living in the clouds. But they're, they're not allowed to live in the clouds. And uh, and when the enterprise comes to to get the element, they find out that there's that they that the miners are revolting and they won't uh, they won't turn over the Zenite. and and the people in the clouds uh, say well, we'll 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 get it for you and they and they they want to do it through torture and uh, torturing the um, the miners and the, the, who are revolting and wow and um, <laughs> and. Uh, Anyway, uh, D- uh, Dr. McCoy uh, bu- discovers that uh, he does get a sample of the xenite, and he-, he finds out that it uh, it's producing a gas that makes the the miners uh, more aggressive and, and uh, stunts their intellect. It makes them about 20% less intelligent than they would be ordinarily, just from long exposure of inhaling the gas mm-hmm. when they're mining. So he uh, he says oh, that that could be easily solved with a mask with a filter that would filter out the gas, and over time uh, they would uh, return to normal, and and uh, and this of course would have a, a big impact on this on these two societies because then they, you know uh, there'd be no difference between the two, and uh, and of course they'd be even more entitled to to uh, to live up uh, up in the clouds and. Uh, and of course, the the guy who's the uh, the head guy on, in in the Cloud City he uh, he doesn't want he doesn't want to change anything. He likes the status quo. And Kirk ends up. Uh, uh, oh, he well he he offers the mask uh, as uh, uh, as in trade. He says, "I can offer these masks for your for the miners, and they can." Uh, they can give us the zineite because we only have a few hours here to to get to the other planet with the, the element, and uh, you know. So let's let's trade the, the mask for for the Zenite. And the and the the man uh, the fellow who's in the cloud city uh, in charge of that he says, uh, "No, we we don't want that. <laughs> you right. know, we'll we'll get the, we'll get the Zenite our own way. You know." Uh-huh. And uh, uh, so Kirk, in desperation, has. Has um, Spock uh, or Scotty beam beam the uh, the man down to down into the mines, mm-hmm. where where uh, where he's forced to uh, to breathe the air their their air and do their mining, and uh, and needless to say, over time, both Kirk and this uh, this other fellow uh, become aggressive, right, as uh, and uh, Start fighting, and there's, they almost kill each other at one point. So, so uh, it kind of drives the, the point home, and, and he accepts the uh, the, the uh, idea of, of giving, getting them the mask. And uh, of course, that has a, I'm sure that has a big impact on the societies between the you know the upper class and the lower class, literally. <laughs> uh, of, of people. So in that way. I, you know, that was sort of a, an impact on their society. and And I don't know if it was a violation of the Prime directive, but at least it was a, definitely had an impact on on the society.
0: this This uh, very same plot line, uh, it sounds super familiar because I think it's been rehashed several times in the history of uh, of Star Trek. Um, Terry in the chat room, Reminds us that of the fact that this uh, there is a similar episode in the next generation where there is a planet of uh, of of uh, drug addicts that have to work and there is a planet of of kind of drug dealers and and there's the same dilemma. They the, the 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 crew discovers that oh wait a second the one one planet is being oppressed by the other and uh, and is being exploited and and what do you do? And uh, I watched an episode. Of enterprise, where um, where you see a uh, uh, similar, they they first get into contact with uh, two people on a on a spacecraft that are ill, and there there seems to be some genetic illness, or it's, it's, something is degrading, and, and the whole, and it's a very civilized, technically very civilized um, uh, uh, society, and and at first, and I think that they they they. They take the initiative to contact, you know, warp civilizations, because the Prime Directive is all about not getting involved in pre-warp um, uh, planets and civilizations. And so, uh, at first, I think they want to help, and then they discover that there is a that there is another people on the, the same planet um, that live in poverty, that kind of work for the wealth of the the higher evolved uh, civilization on that same planet. And Doctor Flocks discovers that actually the, the the more primitive civilization on that very same planet is genetically advancing at a much much more rapid pace than the the higher advanced uh, civilization, and that probably from a, a point of view of evolution, evolution. Um, the, this, uh, this more primitive people is, is probably going to take over because the, the more civilized uh, population is going to die out. And so Archer, Jonathan Archer, the, the, the captain of the Enterprise, is faced with a big moral dile- dilemma. You know, do we help these people to, to cure their disease or, or are we going to let evolution run its course? And flocks. Even though he's a doctor, and so you know, you would you would think a doctor has to cure, a doctor has to heal, has to help. Flocks, as a, as a scientist, says we sh- we should not inter intervene because otherwise we're gonna we're gonna influence the natural evolution of this planet. And and if these uh, if the, if this advanced civilization gets a cure, then they will keep oppressing uh, the other the other people. Whereas it, it's pretty obvious that this this more primitive. People is is going uh, is ultimately going to take over, and and the other civilization has to die out, and so uh, Archer literally loses sleep, and this is this is pre Prime Directive, but you already see this moral struggle. You know, what do we do? Do we intervene? Do we do, don't we intervene? And uh, and Flocks is taking almost a, a, an atypical. Uh, uh, stands in this and, and says, and tells Archer, you know, we should just step back.
1: Before there was a prime directive, the fate of millions weighed on a captain's conscience. I believe your compassion toward these people is affecting your judgment. My compassion guides my judgment. An all new
0: enterprise. I think ultimately there's kind of a compromise, and uh, Archer gives. Uh, This advanced civilization in medicine That will give them just a little bit more time So they can perhaps find a cure On their own But he won't give them warp drive And he won't help them any further So it's kind of breaking the prime directive Well the prime directive wasn't there But it's kind of intervening a little bit But just a little bit and so it's kind of a cop But how can
2: you not do something like that? Um, unrelated to Star Trek, sure. but directly related to, you know, our, our own concepts of, okay, you know, we often talk about the greater good, and that certainly is what jo- social justice is about, the greater good. But you can never take out the single person and the importance of each unique person. And I was recently watching an old movie. It's, it's been around for quite some time uh, with Sean Connery. That's called Medicine Man. And uh, he quite accidentally discovers a cure for cancer that's a very dramatic cure for cancer in, uh, in the uh, rainforest, somewhere, uh, I guess, in South America. And when he discovers, or Central America, and he discovers this cure that's in the trees, and there's only one vial left of, of this, and there's a, a young boy with, um, with, the, uh, with a, a fast growing tumor that's going to kill him i mean he's in death throes right now and the scientist that's with him tells him that he owes that cure to humanity that yes it's going to be painful that the boy dies but but he owes that cure to humanity and so they can't make the decision they struggle with the decision meanwhile the boy's dying and uh and so he drinks himself into a stupor and puts the responsibility of making the choice on on the scientist. and she has a sleepless night and and finally, she can't stand the fact that she knows this boy. she's made the you know she's made the connection with this one life. And so she goes and takes the vial and uses it to save his life. Uh, you know, what do we do? do do we do we let one die for the whole thing? I mean, Spock effectively did that when he walked into the uh, <clears throat> the radioactive chamber to save the enterprise. But, you know, I think it's different when a person makes the choice as opposed to having someone else impose the choice. I, I don't know.
0: But isn't the reason that that we feel uh, sometimes a moral imperative to help, even if that would be mean intervention, is it not because we, we, we experience or we are uh, convinced that there is we we're all kind of built to the same likeness. We, we we belong to one, one race or one. We're all human, and I'm talking about you know the reality. Um, and so there's a, like a, an, an inherent solidarity. Someone else is, is, someone else from a different country has at least some basic rights and has the right to. To live, the right to have certain freedoms, and if those basic, fundamental rights are are uh, harmed or threatened or destroyed, then we should intervene. and And this is this is the big, big problem right now in international politics. It's you know, let's take a country of Darfur, and what's happening there? It's horrible. If you see that, you're like, how can the international community not interfere? This is an outrage, and yet. You know, and so we try we send peacekeeping troops uh, military action that's a whole different thing you know uh the look at what happened in Iraq uh, look at, at the situation in North Korea do we intervene do we respect sovereignty it's a very very difficult uh, uh dilemma and it's and it's just I ultimately it depends on your on your ethics and on your morals are you do you feel that you know there is kind of a um, a common ground a common moral ground, common standards for what we are entitled to as, as members of the same human race or do we say well it just depends on which country you live in it depends on your set of values And I think that that is reflected in the, in the, the the whole history of Star Trek dilemmas about the prime directive and and, and, and it, what makes it even more complicated is that in Star Trek not only do we have to deal with, with humanoid entities but we also we have a whole wide range of alien life forms and what are the rights of aliens what is what are the rights of of of, of a, an, an android like like data does he have the same rights is he is can we consider that human life or is it just life in general are there you know general guidelines and rights for life as such and so uh, steve you uh, uh, I think you you you, uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about the treatment of aliens and how we see that evolve in Star Trek history.
4: Well, yeah, it seemed to me that um, uh, early on in the early series, the original series, you know, they 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 talked a little bit about um, how humans interact with different species, but they seem to always treat them the same, you know, as sort of. Um, they would treat aliens the way they would treat humans, but I think as as this different series started to evolve, they got a little bit more mature in the way they they did that, and you started to see a much uh, deeper way of of confronting these sort of social justice issues, and 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 they started to to look at you know this is an alien society, an alien you know life form, and therefore it has to be treated with some. Um, some way of looking at it that's not just a human way of looking at it, and so I think their concept of, of you know, we're all made in the same image of God, sort of thing, but it but it means that there, we have to look at it differently. Does that make sense?
0: Well, yeah, I think that. that in in several episodes you see this uh, uh, where where their their perception of alien life is is changing a little bit and there's more respect i remember that that for instance in you know in in the original series kirk can easily kill you know anything that looks like a monster because obviously it's a monster right so you kill it and and i remember uh, next generation episodes where uh, at first, you know, some alien entity seems like to be a huge threat and, a, and, a, and an obvious enemy. And then, bit by bit, the, the crew of the Enterprise is like, well, wait a minute. We're perhaps a little bit too hasty. This might just be an alien life form preserving, trying to preserve itself or to protect, you know, their offspring. And, and you know, we should leave it in peace or we should just let it run its course.
4: Yeah. It seemed to me that early on, the less human an alien looked, the more evil it was per- portrayed. And the more human it
0: mm-hmm. looked,
4: the the better it was portrayed. But then you see them getting away from that, and they catch you with, you know, uh, a very alien-looking alien that was actually uh, – I don't know the preferred species to the one that looked more human. Yeah,
0: does that make sense? Well, and a very human uh, uh, alien uh, is 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 turning out to be one of the most annoying guys uh, <laughs> that ever you know uh, entered the bridge, and they want to get rid of him any you know, any form possible. You know, Q is of course. You know, the superhuman, and and and, but in his uh, superiority becomes, you know, he just displays all the flaws of of the of mankind in a, an exaggerated way. And yeah, let's intervene. Let's get rid of this guy. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> le- don't let him do what he wants to do. Um, well, the, a good the whole dresser, concept
2: though. of civilization. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Okay. The, the whole concept of civilization is that. That if we think that we're the ones that are civilized, then then you know we get into pejorative terms and, and call uh, other other societies uh, savages or uncivilized. When in fact they they have their own structure, their own uh, hierarchy, their own value system, and I think that what they were moving toward is is our own human. Uh, evolvement into understanding that, hey, just because you don't have technology doesn't mean that you're not valued and that you don't have something to contribute. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that yeah. most of this comes with, with, you know, our own realization of the way that that we've treated indigenous populations in, in various parts of the world. You know, they're they're living their lives fine, thank you. They don't need to have iPhones. They don't need to have, um, you know, televisions. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um well and even, even well intentioned intervention, you know, let's give them a cell phone, you don't know how that's gonna work out. It might actually have disastrous consequences. Uh you know? <laughs> like Steve Jobs becoming the ultimate planetary ruler that crushes every opposition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but this uh, reminds Yeah.
4: I was going to say this reminds me of the conversations I used to have with students talking about uh, what Pope John Paul called subsidiarity, mm-hmm. which is solving a problem at the lowest possible level. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you have a, a a a local issue, then local people should determine it, uh, determine the solution. If you have a national issue, then the national people should determine it, and rather than just throwing money at it and hoping it all turns out well.
0: Sure, but there are mo- there are situations I think where the prime directive, if we would if we would use that here on Earth in any situation, it might have been disastrous. Uh, and and it, it depends on how you even how you look at, at at things like evolution. You know, is it is it morally right to say that well, whoever is the strongest? Of course, has to dominate over time. This is the discussion that was going on, on uh, you know, in the in the enterprise episode that I men- mentioned, uh, dear doctor. Um, if you if you would uh, apply that, for instance, to the Third Reich, you know, to Hitler's aspirations. Yes, he built an incredible army. Yes, he was extremely powerful. And from an evolutionary uh, point of view, you know, letting alone uh, leaving leaving behind all moral consideration. It, you know what would happen if if, if we would have let, just let him just let him be. L- let's not intervene. He's, you know, he's just doing what he's supposed to do. He's taking over the planet. Uh, of course we, we we see things that are unacceptable and and we kind of refer I think to to a, to objective standards like what what Hitler was doing and what and the cost that was paid to realize his, you know, his, his dream of a of a Third Reich was morally unacceptable, and and the countries bind it together and decided to intervene and to to crush him and to remove him from power and to, you know, so that sometimes war, despite the fact that in the Star Trek universe, it's it's it, at least in the first uh, uh, few seasons of the original series, war is still seen as, as something that is almost inherently evil. But sometimes war is necessary to preserve uh you know kind of objective common values and uh, and if if we if we take a very uh, relative standpoint and and you know as you understand there are lots of different philosophies and ethical um, constructions ethical ethical ways to look at the world but if it's if everything is relative then you know that might have terrible consequences for, uh, for 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 mankind at least, or for civilization. And 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 there is a there is another um, analogy between, let's say. So what do you do with with alien life forms that that are threatening to gobble up uh, other planets? Do you think oh, it's just a big blob of of life, and it you know it's just eating, it's just feeding. Do you do you destroy it or not? Well, if you apply that to our situation of, like, bacteria or some virus, you could say, well, that's life. So, yeah, let it, let it kill every human being on the planet. It's just, that's just, you know, we shouldn't intervene. We shouldn't vaccinate. It's just the way it goes. And so, interesting, interesting uh, dilemmas. And uh, there's a final thing that I wanted to say. Um, and this is about... Uh, about the views in in the Star Trek universe on evolution, uh, there there seems to be um, uh, well at least some type of belief in some episodes of a, a bigger, you could say, evolutionary plan, and and flocks. Uh, on the Enterprise seems to refer to that when he says, you know, let's not intervene because it's probably meant to be that this primitive people will take over. And if you vaccinate, if you cure the other civilization, then you are disturbing the plan. And then I was like, okay, but, uh, huh. Who determines what the plan is? And who are you to decide what is according to... the, The plan might also involve you intervening and acting and helping and curing, you know, That's <laughs> that could, that exactly. too could be part of the plan. So lots and lots and lots of interesting, uh, uh, discussions. And I, I don't think that this is something that we can resolve easily and give some, some, some prime directive, uh, by ourselves and saying, you know, the, the enterprise crew should always do this or should always do that. What I liked about that enterprise episode, um, with, um, the uh, with flocks and Archer is that Archer at one point he is like, okay, we just don't know exactly what to do. He just admits it. We don't have general rules. We don't agree on this. But until some some more evolved moral point of view that we all agree upon uh, is put in place, you know, I'm just going to do what I think is right, and let's help these people a little bit. And and so it's a very pragmatic solution. But it just goes to show that. Even in in a fictional universe, even in the Star Trek universe, there is a desire to think about these general ethical concepts and rules and and conventions that need to to guide our moral decisions in in, in detailed practical situations. And so it's it's something that the Star Trek universe has to work on and it's something that we in in our in our real society are constantly struggling with and and working on it's like let's get together let's think about these things and let's establish moral guidelines if we just let things go if we, we just let things happen and 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 everything is relative and we don't have any kind of moral common ground then it's probably going to end up in the destruction of everything and everyone and so uh, it's it that's just part of i think our, our human discovery our journey together uh, but we need to think about this because otherwise the consequences uh, might be uh, might be terrible. Well, that wraps it up for this episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. I am pretty sure that a lot of listeners might want to chime in on this. And uh, as I said, this is a discussion that is uh, not finished anytime soon. If you want to chime in, join us on sqpn.com and post your comments or your reflections or observations um, in the comments on this particular episode. Um you can also, of course, send us feedback. Uh, you can send us an email with your thoughts. Send it to star Trek at sqpn.com. And if you want to join our live discussion, just as, uh, as Terry did during our show, you can join us every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So uh, that would be 8 o'clock Central Time. And for those of you living in Europe... That would be, uh, let's see, it's 2 o'clock uh, UK time, so general, what is it, uh, Greenwich Greenwich Mean time, and it's uh, at 3 o'clock Amsterdam time. So that's about it for today. Thanks to uh, to Steve, Mike, and Maria for joining us, and we will be back next week with another episode of The Secrets of Star Trek. And until then, take care and live long and prosper.